Let us read our passage today. Let's open up your Bibles to the book of James. We are already in chapter 3. Would you believe it? Chapter 3 of James. Very famous passage, this one. Talks about the tongue. Oh, that tongue. The untamable beast. Give you a second. When you're there, say amen. Maybe a couple of you. Maybe I know you're there. Good. Awesome. Let me read. Amen. (laughs) Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder whenever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man or no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt, salt pond yield fresh water. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we come humbled, announcing, proclaiming of your majesty and your glory. Lord, you are our salvation. Lord, allow me today to control my tongue. I need you, Father. I need your strength. May I proclaim your words and your words alone. May your words change the hearts of us today. Whoever needs conviction, whoever needs encouragement, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you come now and use these words. Mature us, Lord. Make us more into your likeness. We want to be like you. We want to be fruitful, effective in your kingdom. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. By show or raise of hands, who loves the dentist? I don't know. Is it too, too loud? No? Is it fine? Okay. All right. Who loves the dentist? You love the dentist? I know, I know a few of you are crazy like that, but I, man, I, dis, I despise the dentist. Of all the medical practices, I hate going to the dentist. I fight it. My wife has to make the appointments for me, and my hygienist is always harassing me, calling me at work. Hey, you made your appointment. Yeah, that's me. There's something about being, you know, on your back and someone opening your mouth and 
picking at your teeth with pointy things and drills and that sound, something about it I, I, don't, I don't like. Several times, or multiple times, at least in my, I've, I've tried to, to cover, um, you know, I don't, I don't floss as, as much as I need to, and I've gone to the hygienist, and you know, the day prior, I'm just brushing my teeth as maybe five, six times, you know, trying to cover up, you know, whatever is in there, thinking that I'm going to cover up. But it happens that I go to the dentist, and she finds all sorts of things. So she goes, you haven't been flossing, haven't you? I'm like, ah, how do you know? You know, it's like, oh, I could, I could tell. The same thing happens with the tongue and the heart. The tongue is the great revealer of our heart. You may try to disguise it. You may try to put up a front. But at one point, your heart, your tongue will reveal what's really in your heart. Amen. We find ourselves in the, in the third chapter of James, and I said in the previous chapters, James is deeply concerned with the genuineness and maturity of our faith. He's so concerned that if you remember in the last sermon, we were taught that faith is a gift, our salvation is a gift, not by works, but every good believer will produce good works. Now, today we're going to talk about the tongue. And as a father transfers his DNA to his children, so does the Lord to his children. He deposits in them his spirit. And there's this imagery of uh, the last few verses that from, you know, from one uh, pond, you know, you cannot have fresh water and salt water. It's the same thing with our lives. It's impossible to have Bad, you know, bad works or sin in our lives constantly there if we truly have been transformed by his spirit. Amen? So today we notice that James is continuing his line of thought. It is the continuation of the sign of good works in the believer. James points out that clear evidence of good work in a believer is in the form of the usage of the tongue. Now, one might not consider words as good work. It is. Anything that gives glory to God, whether in deed, thought, or words, are good works. Professor R.V.J. Tasker said this, simple. Words are also works. You ought to consider that very, very seriously. It is a mark of a believer to talk like our Savior talks. This is a repetitive theme of James. We saw in the first chapter, verse 19, the idea that we ought to be slow to speak. In verse 26, in the same chapter, James alludes that if we consider ourselves religious and cannot bridle our tongue, we deceive ourselves. In chapter 2, in verses 14 to 26, James talks about the boastful man who has an intellectual faith but deceives himself by believing the works that works have no part of our salvation process. Let me remind you that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. No no works, lest any man may boast, but genuine faith, again, true faith, is accompanied by good works. Today's title is The Restless Evil of the Tongue. I grabbed that from the passage. There are four points this morning. Number one, we're going to see the warning to teachers. Number two, 
The tongue is a small member with enormous impact. Number three, the tongue is an untamable beast. Number four, the tongue is the great revealer of our faith. Let's go to point number one, warning to teachers. Well, in the first two verses of chapter three, we notice that James gives believers a warning. Especially teachers, those who are mature in the faith. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It seems that James is onto something here. He appeals to the congregation and to all who seek the role of a teacher or a preacher. To consider the consequences of the role. Teaching is done with words. And as James understands this, words are powerful. It used to be that in the times of James, teachers were affluent folk. They were rich. For the most part, learned. They, were, they had money to go to school. So he had a certain prestige to be a teacher. Not all will have this privilege, of course. And so most teachers in the primitive church consisted of folk who were wealthy and learned. And here's the warning. We who teach, and James is including himself, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. By using the word we, James includes himself, reminding himself that every time he teaches God's words, his words are being examined, analyzed, and closely judged. The warning is for those who consider themselves as teachers or want to be teachers and preachers. James is telling us that the role itself is not one of glamour, but one of importance, and not to take lightly. The words of teachers can permeate the heart of people, can have a great effect and impact on their lives. Words of teachers either lead people to glorify and worship God or stumble. What a great responsibility, James says. Jesus himself said this. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will better be for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the death of the sea. What a responsibility. Those who truly are called to teach the whole counsel of God, that is God's word, understand and feel the heavy pressure of the calling. It is not an easy, glamorous call. It is one of steadfast and immovable, immovable dependency on the word of God. We teachers, as James puts it, are not called to preach our own presuppositions, empty words or fables. We are not to preach our dreams, our ambitions, or our visions. We are not to preach self-help sermons, not humanistic messages. It doesn't matter how well-intentioned it may be. We are to preach God's word. As Paul exhorted Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That is the role of the preacher, to preach God's word, to be centered only in God's word. 
And then also the warning extends to the number of teachers. Too many teachers or too many voices are dangerous for the teaching of the gospel. We see it today. We got too many teachers. Today we notice that the vast amount of teachers and preachers, so many teachers, but not the same message. That is where the danger is. That the gospel message will become convoluted with empty philosophies and promises when there are too many tongues involved in the care of the soul of the gray. If you're considering to be a teacher or preacher, or a teaching pastor, don't think that the role carries any glamour. It doesn't. Bruce Thielman said this, There is no special honor in preaching. There is only special pain. The pulpit calls those anointed to it as the sea calls its sailors. And like the sea, it batters and bruises and does not rest. To preach, to really preach, is to die naked a little at a time. And to know each time you do it, you must do it again. Let's look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his old body. Here's a reminder to all of us, particularly to teachers in the context. But this is a universal calling, a warning. We must measure our words carefully because we stumble in many ways. James is alluding that we stumble in our speech, in the way we talk. No preacher or teacher is perfect. There will always be shortcomings in our messages. And I love that James includes himself in the mix. For we all stumble in many ways, he says. He reminds us of our fallen nature and how wicked the sinful nature is. The Bible names a few of the disasters of the mouth. And let's see if we find ourselves in there. The Bible talks about a deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, a wicked tongue, a filthy tongue, a perverse tongue, a corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, an angry tongue, a crafty tongue, a flattering tongue, a slanderous tongue, a murmuring tongue, a complaining tongue, a cursing tongue, a contentious tongue, a sensual tongue, a vile tongue, a tail-bearing tongue, a whispering tongue, an exaggerating tongue, a distortive tongue, an elusive tongue, and more. Did you find yourself there? Great, because James says, welcome to the club. There's no perfect man, because no one can contain the tongue, James says. The mouth is the monitor of the human condition. James says, if you can do so perfectly, then you control all of your body, your mind, especially your heart. For out of the abundance, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, teachers, if the word of God abounds in your heart, guess what manner of your speech? It will be godly speech. It's not only to teachers, for all of us. What goes in, comes out. And I love this practical reminder to teachers. This is a general reminder, but in the context of these two verses, again, teachers, James points points us always to the one who is perfect. 
the God-man, the one who was perfect in every way, because he controlled his tongue perfectly. Jesus, our Lord, was mindful of every word spoken, every syllable, every verb, adjective, was meant to be said in accordance to the Father's will. For I have not spoken on my own authority, he said, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. May that be our heart priority, to speak what the Father wants us to speak. And this ought to be the heart of every teacher and preacher of the congregation. If you're being called to the ministry of teaching, have the mind of Christ. Preach the word and only what is in the word. It doesn't matter if some find it boring, unattractive. You set your heart on the power of the word, which is to save souls. Finally, what a great reminder of grace for all of us that we have a perfect Savior in whom we can come into his presence and ask forgiveness for our speech, for what we say. When he was reviled, he didn't speak no evil. That's our Savior, how sweet he is. Point number two, the tongue is a small member with enormous impact. Morgan Blake a writer for the Atlanta Journal said this, or wrote this, I am more deadly than the screaming shell of the howitzer. I win without killing. I tear down homes, break hearts, and wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity is pure enough to dot me. I have no regard for truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. I never forget and seldom forgive. My name is gossip. We can easily replace this word gossip with the tongue. What a powerful statement that is. James now in verse 3 to 6 gives us, an illustra- gives us illustrations on the power and impact of the tongue. How we ought to be mindful in the manner of our speech. If we truly consider our faith genuine, there's a personal, personal responsibility which calls us to be conscious and watchful of our speech. James, use, James uses natural nautical, and agricultural illustrations to draw the reader. He starts by giving us an illustration of horses. I, I don't know too much about horses. I was looking them up on Google, Googling some, you know, some horses and their breeds. It is said that the Belgian draft horse is the strongest of all the breeds. Muscular, may not be the tallest, may not be the largest in size, but is the strongest of all the uh, horse breeds. It is said that an average Belgian draft horse hauls 8,000 pounds. It's impressive. That's an average. The the greatest haul ever recorded was 16,000 pounds. Imagine. So imagine the mass of this animal averaging 2,000 pounds of weight and how easily men can control their bodies by putting a bit on their tongues. 
this massive animal could destroy us in an instant. But you put a bit on the tongue, left, right, they do your willing. James also illustrates the power of the rudder. Although small in comparison to the ship, it guides the course of the ship. If James were to be alive today and saw and seized the massive cruise ships or the massive military carriers, he would be in awe. But his illustration will come livelier and truer. The ships today today are floating cities. But with all their weight and mass, something as small as a rudder guides their path. Look at that illustration. The idea is that something as small as the tongue controls the course of life. Look at verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Isn't that our very own nature? To make much of us and less of God? In the original language, the term to boast of great things, it means to be arrogant. In other words, the tongue is an arrogant member. Mostly arrogant against all godliness and God himself. Right after the fall, the first sin that occurred happened with the tongue. The arrogance of Adam. You created this woman. You did that. The tongue is said, the core is set, has set the course of humanity. It is in Romans 1 where Paul says that humanity, although knowing God, forsook God for who he is and made idols of all created things. And I could imagine the words of adoration and worship for the things that have no value. The tongue is a weapon of sin itself, twisting and perverting. God's hearts and God's ideas. Moreover, it is a weapon used by hell itself. Let's look at verse 5 and 6. How great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on by by hell itself. What a vivid illustration that is. How many times have we not witnessed to what gossip or slander is capable of? How many lives have not been destroyed by by a violent tongue? How many people have been scarred by a murmuring tongue? How many children have been hurt by a humiliating tongue? What are the damages of an insensitive tongue? The tongue changes the course of life. Words matter, beloved. They matter. How many teenagers take their lives because they become prey to the mouths of bullies? That's reality. It happens every day. How many of our youth take their horrible decision to change their sex and mutilate their bodies due to a lying tongue? It stains the whole body. It says the course of people's lives. Once you words come out, they can't take them back. They're fiery darts. 
Beloved, every sort of evil in this world finds an ally in an, in an uncontrollable tongue. What do I mean by that? Is that every evil in the world is either promoted, furthered, or elevated by the tongue. You want to destroy someone's life? Speak ill of them. Spread rumors and gossip and you see how fast it spreads. This is the imagery that James is giving us. Like the California forest fires and the horrible and expensive damages that it causes every year. The same effects are caused by the tongue. Sometimes the damage is irreparable. We also get this imagery of the tongue being set ablaze or set on, set on by fire itself. The Greek word for hell is Jehinnom, meaning valley of the sons of Hinnom. I'm not going to go through this very uh, in depth because I don't want to steal the, ton- the thunder from my brother Edwin. He will be preaching on this. The valley of the south, this valley in the south of Jerusalem was where some of the ancient Israelites Pass children through the fire, meaning they sacrifice children to the Canaanite god Molech. Gehenna was an unclean place used for burning trash and disposing of dead bodies. It was a place of constant burning, horrid smell. Such a place is compared to the spiritual place of torment. James says, this is the place where all filthy and destructive words origin from. From a place of destruction and evil. Remember when Job was wrongly accused by his friends? Job was tormented. Every word was crushing and debilitating. How long would you crush me with your words, said Job? Words have power. With these imageries, James invites us to be conscious of our words, not only as a measure of our faith, but realizing that we, if we do, we do not control the tongue, we have a loose cannon, a weapon of mass destruction. And let me get, the, let me get through you, not only words, text messages, emails, Now, the book of James is the book of wisdom in the New Testament. He uses so many parallelisms from the book of Proverbs. So I will use the book of Proverbs to give us three practical ways to control our tongues. These are not a cure-all, but as we will see later, but pay attention. Number one, learn the value of silence. We find that in Proverbs 17, 28. It says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips. He is deemed intelligent. Sometimes it's best, not, it's, it's best not to say anything at all. If your words are not to uplift, to encourage, or bring some sort of wisdom, don't say anything at all. One of the marks of a wise person is knowing when to say or when to stay quiet. Ask God to help you and give you self-restraint to be quiet when you ought to be quiet. Number two, watch your tone. Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. 
But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Be mindful of your tone. It goes a long way, being loving in our speech, being tender as Christ was tender. It has great impact. Number three, consider your words carefully. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Soft words can de-escalate a violent or aggressive situation. But in modern society, we're taught the opposite. Nobody could step on my foot. Nobody could say nothing to me. I'll, I'll reply back. That's the heart. But the Bible says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Point number three. The tongue is an untamable beast. Verse 7 to 8. Although I just gave you three practical ways to subdue the tongue... We cannot achieve it ourselves. James makes it very clear in the next two verses. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. It is said that the average man speaks about 15,000 words per day. Women speak about 16,000 words per day. I'm not saying anything. I just think that gap of 1,000 words is, uh, it happens when men come from work tired. And that's when women get their second win, right? They start like, hey, listen to me now. I'm just messing. All jokes aside. Yeah, man, us men, we're so tired we got to listen. Or at least pretend that we care, right? We're just there. That was bad, right? Be mindful of your words. There it is. All jokes aside, we, we, we speak a lot, don't we? If we really analyze our speech over the day, we will notice that there are times where we just blur out things. Our spiritual maturity will be measured on how well our tongue is under control. Now, James gives us another illustration. He says that all sorts of beasts man can tame. We've been able to tame all sorts of animals. The greatest, the largest of them. We've been able to control wild lions, tigers, gators. I've seen all sorts of things. Yet James says we cannot tame the tongue. It's a slippery beast, the tongue. James calls it Restless evil, full of dead poison. He makes it sound as if the tongue had a mind of its own. And I love that James says, no man can tame the tongue. It takes the power of the resurrected Christ within us to control the tongue. And the power is available only to those who turn their lives over to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is, is life because of righteousness. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So this is a call to believers. As with so many things in life, with men, this is impossible to tame the tongue. But with God, all things are possible. There's only one who can control the tongue. Only God's Spirit living within us can we hope to gain control over our tongues. He convicts us when we sin with our lips. And that conviction drives us to repent and pray for more filling of the Spirit so we can avoid further sin. As we cling to Him and yield to Him in obedience, He controls us more and more, including our tongues. As the psalmist prayed, and this should be our prayer every single morning as we wake up. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. problem is that we don't see a great importance in our speech. Words matter, beloved. Words have a long-lasting impact. If not, let's look at God's word. What is done in your life. It is transformative. Brought you from darkness to light. Words matter. Point number four, the tongue is the great revealer of our faith. Verses 9 to 12. Still got nine minutes, I'm good. As I mentioned before, the tongue is the barometer of our faith. What comes out of our mouths reflects what's inside. In this last point, these last verses, James calls all believers to reflect on their spiritual walk. Christian Maturity requires, requires a radical reordering of one's priorities. Changing over from pleasing self to pleasing God and learning to obey God. This is where the mystery of the process of sanctification happens in our lives. The Bible teaches that our Lord is the author of our salvation. James makes that clear in chapter 1 verse 8. It is also true that the Lord is the one who continues to make us more like Him. He's the author of our sanctification. He has provided all things needed for our walk. Look at 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. But it is also true that we are called to obedience. This is the mystery of our sanctification process. The Lord ordains it, sustains it, and at the same time, we have a responsibility to obey. Don't ask me how it happens. It just happens. I can't truly go into details how that happens. How God is sustaining us, but we also have a responsibility. It's divine. 
take a look at verses 9 to 12. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What an illustration. That from a redeemed mouth comes out praises to our Lord, and yet we are easily aroused in anger with our neighbor. James describes a verbally schizophrenic man with a bipolar mouth. That's who he's describing there. Again, he's addressing believers. How often have we not been praising our Lord, praying to him in the car, and all of a sudden someone cuts us off, and what happens? From the same mouth. Mid-sentence, I'm praising the Lord, and all of a sudden someone cuts me off, and man, the next word? It happens. James says, that cannot be. James is alluding to a spiritual, immature Christian. One who is ineffective in, the, in God's purposes. Imagine, this has happened to probably most of us. You know, we've, we're thanking God for our lives and then grip and snip at our spouse. Praising God for a productive day at work and then yelling and screaming at our children because they made a mess. Worshipping the majesty of our Lord one minute and next, lies come out of our mouth. This is the mark of a hypocritical tongue. Worse yet, an evil tongue. When we mix fresh water and salt water, something happens. The fresh water being lighter rises over the denser salt water. But it left together long enough starts to mix and that fresh water is now undrinkable that's what James says the tongue stains the whole body stains our witness to people it's easy to say I'm a Christian but what comes out of your mouth what do people say about you oh there goes the Christian I'm not trying to be legalistic I'm just saying the words have an impact. We're called to make, be missionaries in the mission field. How can we preach the gospel and lie to others? Get bad, bad advice. Makes no sense, James says. Uh, that are uh, uh, not to be. I'm totally convinced that scripture is clear on the matter of the tongue. What is in our hearts will be revealed with our tongue. Problem, stress, troubles, and trials will force what is out in. Out. And I love that God uses these measures to bring these things out. Think about the times you've been stressed. What comes out of your mouth when we are most pressured by the worries of our, in our hearts, or the worries of the world, what comes out of immediately after? 
At the end, beloved, we don't better our speech for the sake of fixing our speech or to make us look more pious or godly. We ask God to change the heart first. If you don't have a transformed, if you haven't been transformed by our Savior, then you have a responsibility to guard your heart. And I'm sorry, if you've been transformed by our Savior, you have a responsibility to guard your heart against such things. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the spring of lives. Proverbs 4.23 It's a call to be mindful of our manner of speech, texting or emailing, because at the end it reflects the heart. Blessed are we that we have a mediator such as Christ, that when we stumble and we will, as James says, we can count on his righteousness and grace to start anew. From him the springs of living waters flow, and by him are we sanctified to produce good works. Good words are good works. May our words be ones of aid to those who are perishing. May our words produce in others a yearning for our Savior. Let us be intentional in our manner of speech to give God the Father all the glory and His Son all the honor. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Your Word has been spoken. Lord, forgive me if I've said anything that offends You, that is not aligned with Your heart, with Your mind. Lord, as James says, I am a teacher called by you, and Lord, what a responsibility. Knowing that every time I speak, Lord, has great impact. Lord, encourage us to continue walking in a manner that glorifies your son, Jesus, that magnifies him in our work, with our families, everywhere we go. Lord, may they see us as children of light and by the manner of how we speak. May our words bring encouragement to our children, to the next generation. May we bring truth to the hearts of those who are perishing, Lord. Lord, encourage us this morning to go out and praise your name, preach the word, Lord, and be, let, let us be mindful, Lord. Put a guard over our tongues. Put a bit over our tongues, Lord. You guide our path. You guide the course of our lives. Let not our small member like the tongue devour us, devour our image. But we could only do it through you, Jesus, through your power. So we cling to you, Savior. In your name we pray. Amen.